Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by Dr. Janine Krauss. Janine and I had a fascinating conversation about hormones, spending most of the time talking about how and why hormones get out of whack and what happens to our body when that happens. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation highly valuable. So let's tune in. Janine, thank you for joining me today. How are you? Oh, thanks, Rian. I'm great. Looking forward to chatting. Awesome. I'm excited to dive into this topic. It's something we've never, I've never covered on the podcast before, but I know it's highly relevant to everything in a human's daily life. So I'm excited to dive into our um, topic of hormones today. But before we do that, who are you? Gosh, that is a good question. We had to talk about that before since I have a mistaken identity going on here. <laughs> um, just for you guys who are listening, my my Zoom comes up as my maiden name. And for some reason, I can't figure out how to change it. So if anyone does know how, hit me up. <laughs> Let me know. Um, I'm Dr. Janine Krause. I'm a naturopathic doctor. I'm an acupuncturist and host of the Health Fix podcast. And I just love talking about hormones and, and helping people rebalance their hormones and, and just return that zest for life when things go awry. Awesome. Awesome. So diving into the hormone topic, I know, you know, we all know about the estrogen, testosterone and those things that, you know, there are sex hormones and all of that, but there's a lot of other hormones in the body. So let's just start with this. What actually is a hormone and what's its role? Okay. So they're just simply fatty molecules that come from the liver. So what I like to tell folks is like, Hey, you're not eating a lot of fats. You know, some people are into the keto thing. They're going to have some good hormone structure, like base there. But if you're not eating a lot of fats, cause maybe you're a little fat phobic, things of that nature. Now you're not going to make enough of these building blocks. Plus your cells are all made of this layer called the phospholipid bilayer, which is a fatty molecule as well. So we need fats to make steroid hormones or hormones in, in general. Then what these guys do is they signal. That's what they do. They tell the body certain messages. And so we have the testosterones and the estrogens and all those guys, but a lot of times we're not talking about the precursors, like something called DHEA, which is a precursor molecule to testosterone and estrogen. And if we don't have enough of that guy, then we are going to struggle to make estrogen testosterone and some of our androgens even, so the adrenaline and stuff that keeps us going. So sometimes what we'll see is if someone's super fatigued, there might be a low DHEA situation. This kind of goes into the adrenal glands. And if you haven't heard of those, there are these little glands that sit on top of the kidneys that are in charge of all kinds of things, but including hormone signaling. They're also in charge of this hormone that's becoming very, very popular lately, a little thing called cortisol. <laughs> just a little thing, just, just a little, little guy. So yeah, that one's, that one's another biggie. And, and we talk about it with stress and whatnot, but it really, we, we need it. Right. So, so for athletes and folks who are into fitness, which I'm guessing a lot of folks who are listening to this are, we need a certain level of, of cortisol to be made, to be able to carry out our fitness activities. But if we don't have enough of it, then we're looking at what is going on in those adrenal glands. And we're also looking at dietary things too. So that's why I like to highlight that, that component of fat and that being a fatty molecule. The other big one that's kind of came out lately is vitamin D. A lot of people are like, wait, it's a vitamin. How can it be a hormone? Well, we've discovered it's got a lot of signaling processes from helping with bone strength. And, and I think a lot of people think, okay, I, you know, I got to take that vitamin D with my calcium to help 
with enhancing my bone strength, but really what we're looking at here is that vitamin D is a signaler for helping to create more bone. And so once again, fat soluble vitamin here, there's a theme, fat's not bad, don't be afraid of it, granted, you know, within reason. And what we can talk about that angle of things if we, if we wanna go that direction too. But vitamin D is one of my other favorite, favorite hormones for, for working in that area. And then I think another one that's not talked about so much is something called sex hormone binding globulin. So that's a mouthful, try to say that one fast. <laughs> that one has to do with carrying the testosterones and estrogens and progesterones around the system. And what it can do is if it gets too excited about things, let's put it this way, if, if the system's too excited, we have a lot of anxiety going on, we have a lot of fight or flight going on, that guy will bind up our hormones and then we can't use them. Then we've got a problem where we're, we're making the hormones, but we're hoarding them and not using them. And so this can be another factor in terms of imbalances with hormones. So those are some of the like outliers that we don't necessarily talk about as much. Thyroid hormones are also some biggies in terms of metabolism, but also in terms of athletic function. Maybe some people have heard of, of things like T3 or T4. T4 is the, the hormone that comes directly out of the thyroid and that gets converted to T3. And that's crucial for metabolism, repair of injuries, oxygenation, things of that nature. So that's kind of like maybe the outliers that we haven't talked about as much in this universe. So I'm going to, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you ask me some questions at this point. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Definitely a lot of different things we can, we can dive into. Um, let's just start kind of as a general, like, I think normally when people, you know, they go to the doctor, they find out their, um, and I'll leave cortisol out of it because obviously we can't supplement for that, but we find out our testosterone is low, our estrogen is low, vitamin D is low. And the immediate reaction by most physicians or just anyone who's like searching online is, okay, I need to supplement for it. I need to do something, you know, put something in my body for it. When in all reality, it, you know, things can go on in the body that it's not absorbing or it's not letting this stuff be pr produced properly. So what sort of things can inhibit a lot of these things from being at the levels they need to in our bodies, you know, given that everything like we're taking in the, what we're supposed to um, dietary wise. Okay. Okay. So we're taking it in dietary wise, no problem for nutrients. So diets clean. Do, do you guys someone with a clean diet here? Give me, give me some scenario here. Are we talking clean diet, not clean diet? Let's go not clean. Cause I think a lot of, I feel like from conversations I've had a lot of people, like they think they eat clean, but it's not really the cleanest type or what I would consider like overly like real food type thing. So let's yeah. go with a not clean diet, like getting enough calories, but not really a, a clean diet. Okay, perfect. I have a great example from this morning, in fact. So Gala was talking with, we were kind of going over diet and she's, you know, for the most part spitting off, you know, I'm eating oats, I'm eating my flax, I've got my chia in the oats, you know, I got my blueberries, kind of the, the use for like a, a typical kind of diet we would think of, of, of a, of a American. Right. And then she was like, yeah, for lunch, I do steamed broccoli. And I'm like, oh, that's great. She's like, yeah, I use those bags that you steam the broccoli in. And I'm like, okay, here's where a lot of us will be thinking like, I'm doing, I'm doing good, but then you're jacking with your hormones a little bit because anytime you heat up plastic, 
we're going to create something called xenoestrogens. Those xenoestrogens can really mess with us on lots of different levels and bind up our hormones. Even though we're eating perfectly, they will mess with the shift. And so meaning like they will create more fake estrogens and shift the amount of estrogens that are in your body. So what I'll see is I'll, I'll have a lot of guys who are, you know, doing okay on their diet and, and whatnot, but the man boobs just won't go away. Or we'll have a lot of ladies who are having these emotional roller coasters where they just like the PMS is out of control and they're just like, what in the world is going on? And we do a labs and it doesn't necessarily show that there's a, a huge deficiency or something of that nature, but it's just low enough. So the body doesn't want to make more estrogens because it's got all these fake ones coming in. So it, it's a signaling problem. So thinking about it, folks, if you're you know, you're eating all the things and you're doing right in terms of maybe you're not using the steamed broccoli, but maybe what you're doing is you're warming it up in plastic or you're using like a, a utensil that you're, you're stirring it around in that's plastic. It still has the potential to bring in some of that junk. And it's just one of those simple things we don't even think about. We just feel like, oh, it's, you know, the thing I stir with, how can that transfer stuff? But it can. So that's, you know, that's one of the ways that we can be, be seeing, you know, something divert. The other big thing is, is toxic exposures with work. If you work in say a printing press or anywhere there is air aerosols of some sort, or if you work in a automotive kind of situation or hairstylists, those are my other folks that tend to have some serious kind of hormone imbalances going on because all of those chemicals can disrupt how our hormones are produced and they bind and all those different things. So these are, these are hormone disruptors. And I think a lot of people have heard about this phenomenon, but perhaps maybe not really looked at like, oh, is that what it can do? Is that what can happen? Yeah. I, I knew about the plastic containers, which is why I don't warm anything up in a plastic container. And like, and I, I, I use plastic utensils. I'm like, I'll just use a real one and wash it. But I never considered that that small amount of heat might create something that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just compounded, you know, like one day in a pinch, you don't have, you know, say, I don't know, someone stole your stainless steel stuff or, you know, <laughs> Or, or let's put it this way. Sometimes what will happen here at my house is we, we stop using the nonstick pans because if those get the scratches in them, you know, they can also mess with the hormone. But sometimes there will be this incidence in, in which everything's in the dishwasher. And that's the one thing stuck at the back because my dad won't throw anything away. So and I live with my dad. Um, guys, I take care of him. So anyway, we'll, we'll have to pull that sucker out. And I'm just like, oh, but you know, that's, that's one day, but if we compound the things, it, it does make an impact over time, especially if you're struggling with hormone issues, whether it's high hormones, so high estrogen or, or a PCOS type of situation where sometimes it can be high estrogen and high testosterone, or if we're dealing with low, because the low testosterones, estrogens, all of those things, it could be a disrupting situation where the body thinks it has enough in it but it's really just toxic overload. And, and we can talk about liver being backed up. We can talk about gut, all those things too, but I'm gonna let you direct the conversation here. Awesome. <laughs> no, I'm curious. So, you know, a lot of things in our environment we can control, but, you know, based on profession, a lot of times, unless we're gonna completely change professions, we can't control that. So if we're working in certain professions that we are surrounded by these toxins, what can we do in order to start, you know, kind of counteract that effect once they're home from work. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the number one thing is making your body really amazing at detoxing all day long. So working on diet, cause you can control that. So working on the things you can control diet clean. So clean food, meaning something closest to nature, but also something that is either local, but they don't put pesticides on it, but it's a local, local group or organic. And, and here's the big issue. We know that the further something organic comes, the more, the less, the less nutrients it's going to have in it. So sometimes I kind of opt for local if they're, they're, uh, you know, chemical free type of environment. It doesn't always have to be certified this or that. So that's number one, clean air. Number two, I often will opt for folks to consider investing in a filtration type of system. You can get little portable guys. I, I use something called the X22 from a company called GBC Supply. It's a great company that creates these portable things that you can just plug in and bring bring with you. They look kind of like, um, I'm looking around to try to see what I have here. To, but they look like a box. It's like rectangular that you could kind of put around with you. And I have them in my home, but I had them in my office in Washington. And then I also have my girlfriend who is a hairstylist. She's got one in her salon to try to help mitigate the air a little bit. Then the other big thing is really working on your, your gut health, working on hydration, because anybody who's not hydrating effectively, half your body weight, you know, an ounce of water plus, plus the extras when it's hot out um, or you're working out. But if you're not doing those kind of things, now we've got dehydration where we can't move things through the lymph either. Mm -hmm. And then movement, you got to move to move the toxins out. So typically where a lot of people who kind of have everything else on point, it, it ends up being the gallbladder's not producing what it needs to, the liver's not clearing things. And then we've got a gut and that's got some issues. And so if anyone's struggling with constipation, it can be a hormonal thing. But it's something that we want to kind of open up and move first before you start to manipulate hormones. That makes sense. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Let's dive into the cortisol conversations because it has gotten a lot more exposure more recently as far as being so relevant. It is our stress hormone, um, but we also do need cortisol in our life for just normal daily function as well. So what role does cortisol play? Like, why do we need it? But then what happens when it gets too high? Sure. We need cortisol to wake up and go to bed. Like it literally wakes us up in the morning. It peaks between six and 8 a.m. And then slowly takes like a, a slow decline down. And then it kind of gets to its lowest point right as we're going to bed. That's where it should be low. And then melatonin should be high to help us to kind of get into bed and, and get comfy. And then it stays low for most of the night and then it starts to creep up slowly. That's its natural process is to do that. And then of course, its other natural process is to get us away from bears. So should there be something that we need to get away from, that's when cortisol should be released. So yeah, that's its, its basis kind of, of, of what it should be doing for us. So what, when it gets, you know, in states of high stress, low sleep, all the things that create elevated cortisol levels, what happens to our bodies? What systems are impaired? Like what's going on in, in the body in those situations? Literally every system can be affected by cortisol. And the way it does it is because it's in direct communication with the vagus nerve. So that is our longest nerve in the body. It's our fight or flight nerve. It's in charge of keeping us in that, that state of stress, but it's also got the other division in the rest, digest, and chill state. 
Unfortunately, we don't end up in that rest, digest, and chill state very often. So our body will often divert to the stress state. So if we go head to toe, how, how does stress affect us? You know, it can start affecting us with blood sugar first and foremost. And when I say head to toe, I'm meaning because like literally we will have a rise in blood sugar when cortisol goes up because we want glucose into the bloodstream to run away from bears. We need that fuel. But when the bear really never comes and <laughs> you're just left there like, you know, your body's left there thinking like something's coming. Some, I know something's coming and that, that, that cortisol staying elevated. And then it's time to eat breakfast or it's time to eat lunch or whatnot. A lot of times now we're going to go into that situation with an already elevated cortisol and blood sugar. And so this is why things like intermittent fasting and the keto diet and things of that nature can be really effective for some folks. Now, am I promoting strict ones of this? No. I, I can talk to that. I can speak to that later. But what I'm saying is that they can be effective. So can working on stress management. So can deep breathing exercise, things of that nature. That's how we can burn off that extra cortisol. We can raise it and then burn it with, with movement and exercise and then bring it back down. So that's first and foremost, the big impact we see. The next one is that we'll end up seeing the body burning a lot of progesterone. Because what's happening is we will take the precursors from making progesterone. Instead, we'll make cortisol. So what happens is we end up with lower and lower progesterone levels the more stressed we become. Now, there's some chemical reactions and things of that nature that I'm not going to geek out um, on at this moment. If you guys want to geek out, well, <laughs> we can do that at a later date. But what's happening is something called progesterone steel. That's what they call it. And, and so we'll see a lot of ladies and even men start to have trouble with sleep as they get older because stress just compounds. And it's also something that will happen to us when we end up having insomnia around stressful time periods, especially if our body's already depleted and we don't have a lot of resources kind of reserves in our adrenals, but also if you're not eating as much fat, the liver's bogged down, you name it. If we're weakened because of any of those things, we're not going to be making enough progesterone. So that's going to be another thing that's going to happen. Let's take a brief moment to talk about the Get Your Fix app. This app was designed with the athlete in mind. Both the athlete who is injured and wants to get past it, as well as the athlete who wants to become resilient. There are programs on the app for you if you are a runner, as well as you if you are a CrossFit athlete or an obstacle course racer. So I encourage you to go check it out at app.getyourfixpt.com. Once again, that is app.getyourfixpt.com. And now back to the conversation. The other big, big, big factor, and I think this may be one of the number one things that really more or less jacks us up when we're looking at a stress situation with too much cortisol, is it can trash the gut lining. And it can cause the gut lining to separate. We can have inflammation types of reactions happen on the gut lining. And really when we're stressed, you know, the body's like, I need to eat and I need to hurry this up. So we're eating faster. We're not eating, sitting down. We're eating in the car, standing at the kitchen sink, you name it. Think about the last time, you know, some people, some people that in stress mode, they don't even sit down to eat ever. I don't think I sat down to eat when I had my, my brick and mortar practice going. 
I don't think I ever sat down to eat because I was constantly doing something, you know? And so then it's like, oh, of course my hormones are all trash because I'm not absorbing them. But at the same time, we're triggered to eat things that aren't going to be as good for us. So that's the other big thing that'll happen because when you're stressed, you don't want a salad. That doesn't sound good. Mac and cheese sounds amazing. So, you know, you have to think about that impact too on the gut. And then the other thing is really the sex hormones, right? A lot of people, when they're stressed, they're going to be like, honey, I'm not in the mood, you know? And, and what's happening is that your body is like, that, there is no time for that business. We are getting away from this bear. I don't care how far this bear is away. We, we cannot do these things right now. And so it will lower the amount of estrogen testosterone, everything. And it does it via, more often it does it via the adrenal glands because we're depleting those guys' ability to function. But we also can mess with signaling to ovaries to test these in general, just because of stress. So we've got kind of a head to toe thing going on. We can mess with circulation with with being in fight or flight mode because we'll divert everything to our arms and legs because we're going to try to book it away from that bear. And now the gut's not getting nutrients to it either. So we get a lot going on when, when stress hits the body. Yeah, absolutely. So I know it's easier said than done as far as like, okay, elevated stress levels. Let's just figure out how to de-stress ourselves and let's get more sleep. Like mm-hmm. we can say that all day long, but mm-hmm. doing it is so much more difficult. So mm-hmm. If someone like they're listening to this and they're like, I like, that's me. I know I'm there. What can we start doing to start lowering our cortisol levels? One of my most favorite, favorite things, and it's totally free. And most of us have anywhere between two to five minutes during a day where we can just lay down. And I typically will have people do this right after workouts in particular because that's going to be the time at which your cortisol's elevated. And if you're already in an elevated cortisol situation, you're anxious, you're in fight or flight mode, you got to bring that down. And, and so laying down with your legs up after a workout for two to five minutes, I highly recommend five minutes, but sometimes I get it. That's life. And just breathe your heart rate down, taking deep breaths, just chilling. If the breath thing's not your jam, just lay there. And I also recommend doing that. If you get super stressed, in a situation, if you can go hide in your office, lay down. If you can't find, go to the nearest bathroom, sit on the toilet and breathe. So, you don't even have to sit on the toilet. You can stand in the, the stall, pretend like you're sitting on the toilet and just breathe. You know, the idea is, is really just get some alone time for two to five minutes and just breathe. That's kind of the number one thing that I'll have folks do. Yes, there's supplements and herbs, I don't know if you want to go to that direction, but when, when life's busy and we need to like put a bandaid on it so we can find that space to chill, I'm all for it. So, um, L-theanine, have you heard of L-theanine? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So it's an amino acid guys, and, and it's derived from green tea of all things, which is kind of bizarre since that's got caffeine in it. But this guy is a regulator of your neurochemicals and in particular can regulate cortisol. It works similarly to ashwagandha the Indian herb, but a lot of folks kind of don't tolerate ashwagandha so well. I I found it can be hit or miss. There's a lot of like folks out there saying like, if you have thyroid issues, don't use ashwagandha. I found that also to be, eh, sometimes is the case. But L-theanine, you could take up to 1600 milligrams a day in divided dosage. I wouldn't do it all at once. 
you might be a zombie, but <laughs> you could do like 400 <laughs> milligrams four times a day if you're like having a day. Now, the same thing goes with the ashwagandha. Ashwagandha, you can go, you can go up to, I like folks around 800 milligrams. Some folks will even go up to 1600 to 1900 milligrams a day. I think that's a little overkill, but you know, you could do that. Now, now the question is with regulating these things, where do we, where do we put it during the day? Both of them are really nice at night because they're going to help to bring down the cortisol levels. What can also do that? Magnolia bark is another thing. There's a great product out there that's been used for years and years. It's called Cortisol Calm. That one's one. Cortisol Manager is another that you could take at night to really bring things down. Philodendron bark is also part of that supplement. Now, during the day, that's where you could split out the L-theanine. Ashwagandha, you could take some in the morning, some at night. That's one option. If you have thyroid, a thyroid medication on board or you're doing thyroid herbs, take it at least a half hour to hour away. That's kind of what I found to be more effective. Now, the other really, really nice herbs are holy basil. And lovely one, kind of one of my favorites. I, I like holy basil, but passion flower can be really nice at night to just ease in to the evening. And so sometimes I'll combine holy basil and, and passion flower. I love the company Gaia Herbs, G-A-I-A Herbs. They're liquid caps. So they've got the, the liquid of the herb in the cap. So it's like just straight good stuff. So that's kind of how I, I put the cortisol in check in a pinch if we're really, really just like, yeah, I'm working on things, but I need a Band-Aid. <laughs> awesome. Super helpful. Super helpful there. Uh, switching roles. Let's go to vitamin D now. Um, mm -hmm. This is another one it's gotten, especially with, um, you know, with the whole COVID situation, people are finding or realizing that vitamin D is huge with the immune system. Um, so let's start here. Cause like being that we do get vitamin D from the sun, I know we're talking about D three though, when it comes mm -hmm. to this situation, why are so many people low in vitamin D? That's a really good question. I, I have a couple theories on top of the, the standard thought process. Absorption of vitamins is one thing in terms internally, because a lot of people take a ton of vitamin D and they're not absorbing like they should. And I'm like, what in the world? Why are we not pulling these, these D vitamins in? Most, what, what I found is most people who are not bringing the D vitamins in struggle with bile production and being able to surround the, the fat soluble molecules and bring them into the gut. Also leaky gut, that kind of stuff's going to be a factor there too. The other factor I'd look at with vitamin D because, you know, living in, in the Pacific Northwest prior to, prior to now, I, I saw a ton of folks with low vitamin D and yes, it's dark, it's rainy up there, but a lot of folks would, would be trying to get outside as much as they possibly can. And in the summer, I would still see levels not going up. People would go to Mexico and I'd still see levels not going up. So there's also a, a genetic component where I'm kind of convinced that stress pops it off, but also some chronic viral stuff could pop it off too, where it shuts down the ability to absorb vitamin D across the skin. So we've got that factor. The other side of it is fat, just literally not having enough good fat in the system to be able to process it through. So there's that, there's precursors to, to kind of forming and binding the vitamin D that could be issues too. But more than anything, I think the biggest, like the biggest factor is that we're meant to naturally get vitamin D from the sun. And I think trying to supplement, I mean, granted, we can boost the levels supplementing. 
And a lot of us need to, there's no doubt about that. But I think the biggest issue here is a lot of folks are not getting out and getting direct good sunlight. They're putting sunblock on and blocking the vitamin D too. And, and or D as well. <laughs> also, also. Um, but yeah, the vitamin, vitamin D, we need the, the first morning light, you know, 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. I, I think that sun, sun block, basically sunscreen, all those things can be useful in midday, but I think we could keep it off and do 15 minutes or so out in direct sunlight in the morning where, where the rays are not as harmful and actually get what we need. So I think if it's more, it's more of an issue of not being outside not spending time like we used to. And then if the absorption's the issue, I think it's more of the leaky gut, not enough bile production, things we need to bring it across. Yeah. I had heard the sunscreen thing, I think years ago, my naturopath told me that that's why a lot of people, especially like here in Phoenix are deficient because we all like, if we're out during the day, it's, we all sunscreen on so we don't burn or at least we should. Um, <laughs> and I mean, I, I know myself I do. And then, um, you know, normally I'm not me personally. I don't go outside just to like be outside early in the morning. Um, maybe I should start, but yeah, that sunscreen part is, is huge. I think for people in, you know, especially the warmer climates. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a crazy conundrum, right? Because we, I mean, I was brainwashed since I was a little, like slather that stuff on and the higher SPF, the better. And then it's like, we get all this research that's saying, no, SPF doesn't matter. And then now the more research I pour over and, and kind of data I see from, from patients, I'm like, gosh, I think zinc oxide's great for midday sun. You know, I'm not telling anybody to go out at noon and like <laughs> bake their cookies for 15 minutes, you know, <laughs> like, don't do, don't do that. Just get some zinc oxide, put it on, be good. But like in the morning, like I'm talking like 6 a.m. to like 8 a.m. If you can get out there, walk the dog, check out your yard. I don't know, make an excuse to get outside, go walk to your coffee shop, whatever it is. I think that that can really make a huge difference on us. And I think actual direct light to the eyes even can make a huge difference on our ability to get more quality vitamin D. But yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of my theory in terms of the direct absorption too. Yeah. Um, and I've heard the direct, uh, the eye thing before for a number of reasons, like one for that, that, um, melatonin cortisol switch and the vitamin D curious on your thoughts. Cause I know my eyes are super sensitive. Like it's a cloudy day. I'll wear sunglasses. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so like mm -hmm. for people with sensitive eyes, what do we do to like get that contact with the eyes, but also not feel like we have to like squint for the 15 minutes for outside, you know? those cheap sunglasses that are like light colored. That's the ant, like something that's super like light colored, not, you know, like the polarizing ones and all that, the fancy pants ones don't wear those get the super sun, like light, like $5 at the dollar <laughs> store, or even maybe they have a dollar. So as I say, <laughs> get a dollar, the dollar store. <laughs> Get a kid's pair of sunglasses that you can fit. And no, it's like literally you want the light, light colored stuff. I've, I've even had some people um, do like do like hat, hat on. And sometimes that'll kind of take the, the load off the eyes. I'm sensitive when it's like that weird cloud, like you're saying cloudy, sunny. Yeah. It's like the same thing on a ski hill. That same like weird light thing, that low light stuff. I can't, I don't know if it's after 40 that happens or what 
I don't know, but I, I agree with you that it, it's tough. So, so my solution, like literally I've talked to different patients about it. I was like, get the cheapest sunglasses with like the, the least amount of darkness to them, the pinker ones, you know, the, the ones that you're like, I don't know what that's even doing. Get those <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then see how it goes. And awesome. then the hat can help to kind of shield a little bit more, but I think just being out there you're, you're going to get the receptors on the mm -hmm. arms. If you can get the arms and the hands and the forearms out and even the face getting some exposure, even like chest, if you can get chest, even, I think you, you'll still get the benefit. The eyes, I would, you know, all joking aside, I really do think if you got something lighter on the glasses, it'd be much better. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Great tips there. Um, let's dive into the fat conversation because mm -hmm. You know, healthy fats are getting a little bit more commonplace now, but I know there's still a lot of people who are in the like, fat is bad. I can't eat fat. I saw low fat diet. Mm -hmm. What? I mean, you, I guess you kind of answered a little bit earlier, but when we are in this like low fat, I can't eat fat because it's bad for me type mentality. And granted, there are bad fats in the world. We're talking about the good fats. Um, <laughs> when we are consuming these good fats, like, is the, the things that we need, the hormones, are they just not produced? Are they not absorbed? Like what's happening? So the building blocks are what we're looking at, like the foundational lipids. Like when we go down to the tiniest piece of a fat, that's, that's, what's not getting across when you're not eating them. And unfortunately, when someone goes towards more of a lower fat type of diet, a lot of times, if it's anything processed, it's going to have junky fats that are in it. And that sucks because all of our chips, guys, all of our crackers, you know, anything snacky that you didn't make at home is going to have some fats that were probably heated really high. And now they're rancid and, and the body can't absorb that well. And so it kind of gunks up and it can block the liver because it gets, it can get across the bloodstream because we're stressed out, it gets in there. And then it kind of blocks things in terms of the processing of them, because now we've got weird forms of, of fat. So we're looking at the omega-6s that, so we've got omega-6s that are healthy. I don't want to knock those there, guys. We've got omega-6s, we got omega-3s, we got omega-9s, we got omega-7s. I'm not going to go into all the detail here, but omega-6s can be good and bad. So we can have something called arachidonic acid made and that's an inflammatory type of acid, so fatty acid. And then we can have things that are more useful, like linoleic um, acid. And so these are the things, linolenic and linoleic, those are like, try to say those guys fast. <laughs> those, those are good fatty acids that you want. And, and those are things from like nuts, seeds, things of that nature. But it's when we, we eat them, when they're roasted, when we're looking at things of that nature that we've got some problems. So now the question you asked me is what happens when someone's eating all low fat? Well, we're just not getting the amount of fatty acids we need. And instead the sugar content's higher. So the body's going to take sugar over the fats. So what happens, sugar goes up, cortisol's already up because we're stressed. We're going to store that as fat. And then these other fats are going to be hanging out. And we're going to store those too. And we're not going to use them as effectively as we, we optimally could. And then we've got the issues of bogging the liver down with the non-useful fats. So all of our hormones are produced from building blocks of fatty acids within the liver. If your liver's bogged down because you drink too much alcohol, if it's bogged down because you're eating chips and crackers and fried foods, 
and you're doing alcohol. Now we've got two things, your environment, you're exposed to 80,000 chemicals a day. That liver's got to work hard anyway, or if you have work exposures as well. I mean, that's, that's a lot of things that poor liver of yours has to do. So for folks that are struggling with, with hormone issues, you really want to make sure that you're on point with your good fats. We all have an amount that we could use that we need. Let's put it that way. I believe that we all have a certain amount of carbs, a certain amount of protein, a certain amount of fat that we tolerate on our own. We just have to discover what that is. Because for some people, a quarter cup of, of raw nuts or sprouted nuts, that's all their body can handle within a day. And they're like, the body's popping off. They're getting, they're gaining weight. Now, is that normal? Not necessarily. That's a low amount. I'm going to be honest. What that, ha- that means is their liver and things of that nature are, are not working like they should. So the, the biggest thing to be thinking about here is if you struggle to, if you say you tried this keto diet and you were like, I felt like crap, I gained a whole bunch of weight, I got constipated, it means your liver is not processing fats and your gallbladder is probably not creating enough bile. So that's one thing. The other thing is, is if you're quick to gain weight or, or like quick, you know, cellulite stuff, you know, I had people come in and be like, I'm so much more puffier now that I started eating more fats. And I'm, and that's a quick indication that the body's just not processing those fats like it should. So bog down liver, bog down gallbladder. And that's what's happening when folks are not making hormones effectively when they're of age that they should, right? If we're headed into perimenopause, menopause, we've got some other factors. We got to do some testing and, and metabolizing. I, I like to look at metabolism of hormones through something called a Dutch test to give me a really good answer on what is happening in, in terms of metabolism, because we have things like methylation. You guys talked about methylation at all on the podcast. I don't think I have, I know of it, but I don't think I've talked about it with anyone. Yeah. Methylation can be a thing, you know, and liver pathways, there's like the CYP pathways and, and different pathways that have to do with detox. If those are off, we'll end up causing different mechanisms of, of the hormones to be completely off in, in that department. So there's a lot of intricate factors. And, and most of the time it goes back to toxicity in the body and, and liver. And then if it's super, super low and we've, we've dealt with the liver, we've went through all that. I'm looking at the adrenal glands because they are in charge of secondary production. Yes. There's ovaries and, and looking at their testes, depending on, you know, which gender we're looking at, but nine times out of 10, it's a, it's a stress reaction where the body's not wanting to trigger production too. So that's, that's the, the secondary place to look. Okay. Super interesting. The last thing I do want to dive into a little bit is, so we've talked all about the hormones, importance of hormones, um, bring it to kind of the relevance of the athlete, specifically the injured athlete. Mm-hmm. What can we start looking at? Like if someone's not recovering from an injury or maybe they're constantly getting injured um, and they feel like they're doing all the right things, what could be going on from a hormone level that they might not, that they might need to look at? Sure, sure. It depends on two things more often than not, estrogen and testosterone. And both males and females, Females are going to be more towards the estrogen deficiency side of things because we need estrogen. And in particular, there's three types of estrogen, just to, just to be clear with everyone, there's estrone, which is our inflammatory estrogen. Remember when I was talking about plastics, this is what gets boosted is, is the estrone when plastics are coming into the system or chemicals. 
estradiol is our most useful estrogen. That's the one we want around to help to repair and remodel and keep our tendons and ligaments nice and happy. It's also the one that helps prevent like all the wrinkles and all that stuff happening. So think of it as your like tissue hormone. Now, testosterone also has a big factor in terms of tendons and ligaments and bones in particular and muscles too. I mean, it kind of goes, runs the gamut. So if someone is, is constantly getting injured and if we dial it back for a female, that's still getting her period. If you're looking right at either ovulation or right before the, or while she's on her period and she gets injured, you're nine times out of 10, you're looking at an estradiol issue because there's some really awesome research out there. Well, I don't know, awesome for, for us ladies, but it's awesome in terms of how they connected it, that ankle sprains will happen usually around when that estradiol is, is dropped in the system. And typically it'll happen like just before a period or while on the period, you'll see some stuff happening there. Then they connected some with, with ovulation as well. So it's kind of interesting on those two levels, that, that whole connection. Then if we're looking at males, because I wouldn't disregard testosterone for females either, but I would say that it's going to be probably more towards estradiol. But there's also, if it's, it's more of like a fatigue that like the muscles keep getting injured, not the tendons or ligaments. And we're looking at something of that nature. I would be going more towards could testosterone be a thing. So that's kind of how I, I would look at it as a female. And then in terms of guys, testosterone is usually going to be the main driver, but guys also have estrogen guys. You do, you absolutely do. It gets back converted. <laughs> a lot of guys are like, no way, man. No, it's true. Like testosterone gets back converted to estrogen. So you guys have that. And sometimes there will be a, a factor in there. And, and that's huge for, for assessing things. So I definitely would say if you're in, getting injured over and over again, take a look at your estradiol levels, your total estrogen levels, because testing estrone or estriol, the other estrogens is not going to give you a, a, a full accurate read. So you want to do total estrogens and estradiol and then look at free and total testosterone and see like, where's it at? Like what's going on? The other big thing I would be looking at is sex hormone binding globulin, because if the body's stressed, it makes a whole bunch of that sex hormone binding globulin. Like I was talking about at first and it, and it binds up the hormones. So while the person's level of hormones might look low, and then sex hormone binding globulins up here, that means we've got some issues of delivery, getting the hormones to the tissues. Now we can also see the sex hormone binding globulin high and the hormone levels high too. Now that's another ma major issue in terms of getting things to the tissues and utilization of them. And so I totally look at, at those things to see what's up. Then I would look, I and mean, so those are, you can order those from lab core quest, any, right. You know, just ask your doctor for them. DHEA is another one that I would look at being the precursor to estrogen and testosterone. So if you have low DHEA, you got to be thinking, okay, my adrenal glands are shot. And this is something that I see in high level athletes quite often. The adrenal glands are super, super depleted. Um, I had the luxury of working with a lot of the Seahawks players back when I lived in Seattle. And, and we would see that on their labs quite often. It was like, oh like, how are you even playing? Like, how did you even make it like this far? Um, but DHEA should be, should be in a good range. If it's too high, that's way too much stress. Now we're pushing a lot of hormones through and maybe back converting where we don't want it to be happening. So for guys that could be taking the testosterone, putting it to estrogen. 
or ladies, it can be that we're putting in all the androgens, so making adrenaline and cortisol. So it's, it's an interesting conundrum. And so I usually will recommend testing to know what's going on and doing the blood test first, and then consider something the, like the Dutch test, which is a dried urine test later to see what's up. Is there a situation where we have like the DHEA levels are normal, but then the testosterone and estrogen are low, that it's just not converting to what it needs to? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That can happen. It can totally happen. And oftentimes what's happening is we're taking it all and driving it to the androgen. So making all of the stress hormones instead of making our own hormones and uh, DHEA sulfate would be what you would look at to see, you know, if, if everything's driving, you know, which directions things are driving. So DHEA, um, sulfate, just, just for your guests to take a look there, but yeah, it's, it's a thing you, you may be, be converting to, to those guys and not getting to the testosterone and estrogen, like you'd like to, because there's a direct split, um, from it, there's, a total split right after like DHA, DHA sulfate. And then when the hormones split down to either testosterone or over to the androgens, a lot of times we'll see that straight drive right down through the androgens. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. This is all so fascinating. Um, and we covered a lot of stuff here already. Is there anything we haven't covered that you feel super important for like athletes, the coaches to know about hormones? I think it's important to test your athletes hormones and doing it the second half of, if it's a female who's having her period, do it the second half of the cycle. So between day 19, day 26, so that you can get an accurate read on progesterone because it's going to be the higher amount in that time frame. And then guys, you can test them whenever typically make sure that they go in the morning because that you're going to get a higher read on the testosterone levels in the morning. And then females who are not having their period or on birth control where it's continuous kind of thing, birth control, being on birth control, it's really tricky to get an accurate read on hormones with blood because everything's going to look low. And, you know, this is probably a good thing to mention at this point is birth control is going to suppress your hormones. And so your body's not going to be producing what it needs to, because you've got some synthetics in the system. And unfortunately the one thing is the darn, um, progestin that goes along with the estrogens, the progestin is not progesterone. And so it's, it's synthetic and, it, and that can confuse the body and signaling too. So any, any athletes that are on birth control, I would send them to doing a Dutch test because you can see how the hormones that they do have in the body are getting metabolized and you can glean some information as to, is this a hormonal issue? going on there. So yeah, never, never forget the fact that if someone's on birth control, it's, it's a higher risk for having some issues. Mm -hmm. That's a great reminder there. That's something I've known, but definitely forgot about as we were talking here. So mm -hmm. awesome. Well, Janine, if you've shared a ton of information here, if someone has more questions for you, or maybe wants to have some tests done, where can they find you? You guys can find me over at doctor spelled out J Krause ND for naturopathic doctor.com. So doctor J Krause ND.com. That's my main website. You can also find me at Dr. Dr. Janine, J A N N I N E Krause on Instagram and Facebook. And the health fix podcast is on anywhere you can find podcasts. Hit me up and uh, we'll see what we can do for you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was great information. 
Well, I'm glad you, you enjoyed it. And hopefully I gave you guys what you're looking for. If you want more information, Brie knows where to find me. Absolutely. <laughs> I really hope you enjoyed today's episode and got some great information from it. If you are looking for more great information, I encourage you to go check out getyourfixpt.com. There you can gain access to blog posts, other podcast interviews, my online programs, and the Race Prep Masterclass, which is for you if you are a chronically injured runner with foot and ankle issues. Once again, that is all at getyourfixpt.com. And I hope you join us next week for another great episode.